Good morning. As we go to prayer, most of these uh, requests you will pick up on as as I pray. Uh, Let me just uh, highlight uh, two for you this morning. Uh, First of all, Sandy Vivona. Uh, She has another bout bout with bronchitis and will be having an MRI of her brain. She's been having uh, severe migraine headaches. So pray for Sandy and all that she's going through at this time. And then secondly, we received a uh, prayer request from Bruce and Amber this morning. Uh, it concerns the uh, national, uh, the network of international Christian schools, uh, the Christian school in Venezuela. A pastor and his wife were kidnapped there uh, just very, very recently. Uh, so that is on the hearts and minds of the people. We want to be praying for their their safe return, pray for God's will to be accomplished, whatever purpose he has in this, may it be achieved, may his name be glorified, uh, may God give this couple, I don't know their names, uh, great grace in this difficult time in their lives. Let us pray together. Almighty God, we acknowledge and anew our, afresh our allegiance to you. Oh God, you are our God. You have called us, you have saved us. You have equipped and you have enabled us. And you have a service for us to do. And Lord, help us to be faithful in that service. Lord, help us to learn more of you this morning and more of ourselves. To see ourselves as dependent. And to see you as all-sufficient. To be reminded that you are the creator and we are the creature that the distance between you and ourselves is unfathomable. Your wisdom is so much higher than our wisdom, your power than our power, your grace than our kindnesses. Oh Lord, give us a glimpse of who you are. And oh God, increase our faith, increase our expectancy of what you are going to do in us and through us. Lord, help us to call upon your name in faith, believing that you are the God who does hear and answer prayer. We pray for Kin Nob this morning, our missionary of the month, thankful for her labors. We pray that you would give her great success as she ministers the word of God and uh, serves with the Alagua people, uh, teaching English, discipling women. Uh, Lord, may that labor be fruitful. May you be pleased to bring numerous people to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus. And may these indigenous people then reach out and share the gospel with yet still others. May your name be glorified. May your praise spread. Uh, Lord, may your, your kingdom be established. We pray for this couple that has been abducted at the school in Venezuela. Pray for this pastor and his wife. Lord, we who do not know their names, uh, certainly you do. And not only do you know their names, but, but you are aware of every aspect of this situation. Every detail is known unto you. And we are thankful, O oh God, that you have power over these captors. And whatever reason, whatever purpose that you have in this ordeal, I pray that it be achieved. Lord, the lessons that you are teaching this couple even now... Uh, Help them to be drawn closer to each other and to you. The way in which others are going to be emboldened through this. 
Lord, for the testimony to their captors. Uh, We pray that through this incident, the great honor and glory will be brought to you. Help us to be sensitive to our brothers and sisters in Christ throughout the world who are experiencing great hardship and difficulty for naming the name of Christ. Oh, Lord, humble us and teach us of our own weakness. And, uh, Lord, we are ashamed that we are not more bold in a country where we have such freedoms to speak for Christ. Embolden us, equip us, uh, help us to have the name of Christ on the tip of our tongues. Help us to be ready and willing and able to share our faith with those with whom we come in contact. We pray for Christian Roy this morning and ask for him as he continues in his uh, therapy. We pray for recuperation and we pray for uh, just adjustments in his life as the family is moving to, to Kansas. Bless them in all these activities for our brother Labadot who uh, is now at home uh, and out of the uh, health center, but yet still very weak. Thank you for the progress that he's made. Uh, thank you for the encouragement in that matter. Uh, we do pray for Sandy and uh, the bronchitis that she has and is very weak again, and, and now the uh, migraine headaches and the upcoming uh, uh, test, the MRI, I pray that it would be conclusive. Uh, for Mike Herb, who's going to be having surgery uh, on his leg on Wednesday. I pray that that would be successful and accomplish all that he and the doctors hoped that it would. For uh, Bruce Hostetter, Shirley Fessler, uh, Michael Lynn, Kevin Arnick, uh, all these individuals who are recuperating uh, from various illnesses and difficulties. Lord, uh, give them grace. For Hilda Reichenbach, as she has an appointment with a, a very special surgeon at the University of Pennsylvania Hospital on Tuesday to discuss her surgery. May that go well. For Eva McFeeders, the twin sister of Betty, uh, thank you that she was able to go home from the hospital, but we know she still has this mercy and uh, is in great need. Um, Lord, we, we think about these physical requests, but we know that there are hurts. We, we know there are spiritual needs. We know there are emotional needs. Uh, Lord, we, in fact, are a dependent people. And help us, O oh God, to be quick to come before you. May we recognize that your mercies are new every morning. They fail not. You have, are the one that told us to cast our care upon you, knowing that you care for us. May we not be reticent. May we not be bashful. May we not be ashamed. O oh God, help us to pour out our hearts to you, even as you search and know our hearts. Reveal our hearts to ourselves. Help us to see our needs that are greater than just our physical and material needs. Help us to see our spiritual needs. And help us to see Jesus as the answer to them. Oh, Lord, work and move in our hearts. Create more holiness. Create more of a hatred for sin and a love for righteousness. Create within us faithfulness, duty. Help us to be people of honor. Help us to glorify you, not just in our words, but in our lives. May people take note that we have been with you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Darkest day, cry.
Christ on the road to Calvary. Tried by sinful men, torn and beaten then, Beneath, quake. 
teaching us from a wonderful portion of scripture found in Matthew chapter 26, beginning at verse 57 through 75. I trust that you would open your scriptures if you have brought your own scriptures. There are Bibles under your pew. You're welcome to join us as we look at Matthew chapter 26, beginning at verse 57. Let's listen to what God says through his word. Then those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas, the high priest. 
where the scribes and the elders had gathered. And Peter was following him at a distance, as far as the courtyard of the high priest. And going inside, he sat with the guards to see the end. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death. But they found none, though many false witnesses came forward. At last, two came forward and said, This man said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. And the high priest stood up and said, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, you have said so. But I tell you from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, he has uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? They answered, he deserves death. Then they spit in his face and struck him, and some slapped him, saying, Prophesy to us, you Christ, who is it that struck you? Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, You also were with Jesus the Galilean? But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him. And she said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied it with an oath, I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. All scriptures God breathed and extremely profitable. In the passage before us this morning, Jesus is on trial for his life. As the trial goes on, Peter is there, not on trial, but as an observer. Peter enters into normal conversation with others and ends up totally disassociating himself with Jesus. Three times he's going to deny that he is a disciple of Jesus. In fact, repeatedly, he denies even knowing Jesus. Though not in our text, in the book of Luke, it records that after Peter had denied the Lord Jesus three times, the cock crowed, and then it tells us that Jesus looked at Peter, and Peter went out and wept bitterly. I wonder what comes to your mind 
When you think of Jesus looking at Peter after Peter's three denials, what kind of look did Jesus give him? Was he angry? Did he give him a scowl as he looked at him? Was he disgusted with Peter, who openly betrayed him? Did he have contempt for Peter? Was he disappointed with Peter? Did he have a a look of compassion, of tenderness, of sympathy, concern? What kind of look do you think he gave him? I would submit to you that the answer we give to that question has a lot to do with the way in which we view Jesus and the way we view our relationship to Jesus. What is Jesus really like? How does Jesus respond to our inconsistencies, to our failures? our sin. The answer we give that is very important. It's very revealing. Although the passage does not tell us, and in fact the look doesn't even appear in our text, we're going to look at the lessons that we can learn from Peter's denial, lessons concerning Peter and lessons concerning Jesus. But before we look at those lessons, and they're going to come at the end of the sermon, we want to set some background. First, we note that we have a foreshadowing of Peter's conflictedness. Conflictedness in Peter's following of Jesus. I don't know a a better word to describe what I think is going on in Peter's life than be conflicted. He, He has real turmoil going on. If you remember, Jesus had said that Peter would deny him three times this very night. And Peter had said... I'm not going to deny you. I'm willing to die for you. Jesus had been arrested. If you remember, during that arrest, Peter had struck off the ear of one of the soldiers. Jesus healed that soldier's ear. Peter had been willing to stand up. Peter had been willing to risk his life in order to defend Jesus and prevent his arrest. But he didn't understand that it was purposeful that Jesus be arrested, even though Jesus had told him time and time again. And said, even as we reflected two weeks ago, that Jesus was able to call down legions from heaven and deliver him if that would be what would be wanted. Now Peter, after Jesus had been arrested, is following at a distance. Following at a distance, according to verse 8. A safe distance. Not too close. Not too near. Not too dangerous. But in eyesight. Then we find out that Peter followed and sat with the guards, verse 58. And Peter was following him at a distance as far as the courtyard of the high priest. And going inside, he sat with the guards. There are always questions I have when I read scripture. There are 
bewildering thoughts that come to my mind. And the first thought was, why in the world would Peter sit with the guards? Of all the people to associate with, why the guards? Man, I would think you'd want to be on the other side of the building from the guards. You'd want to be as distant from them as possible. But he hangs out with them. He associates with the guards. I I just kind of am mind-boggling. Doesn't he foresee the danger? Doesn't he understand the temptation? Why in the world would he do that? We, we, We don't have any inkling as far as the text is concerned. But we do know why Peter was there. It tells us clearly in verse 58 that he had followed at a distance as far as the courtyard of the high priest and going inside he sat with the guards to see the end, to see what would happen, to observe what was going to take place. Would Jesus be freed? Would Jesus be condemned? Would Jesus display his mighty power and just walk out of that room? Or would he, in fact, go to the cross as Jesus had told him time and time and time again that he would? There's a great line from Matthew Henry's commentary. He says this. It is more important to be prepared for the end than it is to be curious about the end. Peter was curious about the end, but he wasn't prepared for it. You know, there are so many things in life where that is true. One of the areas of that it's very true is the study of prophecy. People are curious. What's going to happen at the end? What might we have to go through? What's this world going to be like? What kind of things are going to take place? And people love to study prophecy and try to figure it all out with this insatiable curiosity. But it's much more important to be prepared than to be curious. To be ready for what the end has in store. To be prepared for what might take place. And certainly we need to be prepared in our lives. And Peter is woefully unprepared at this point for what is going to take place. Because he had been He had failed to heed Jesus' warnings. He had failed to pray with Jesus in the garden as Jesus exhorted and encouraged him to do. Next, I want us to look at the prophecies that Jesus had made concerning his arrest and the denials by Peter that are fulfilled. Jesus is found guilty just as Jesus said that he would. Verse 66, what is your judgment? They answered, he deserves death. Then Jesus is ridiculed as a prophet, verses 67 and 68. Then they spit in his face, struck him. Some slapped him, saying, prophesy to us, you Christ. Who is it that struck you? Tell us, who did this to you? Do you even know what's happening? Do you even realize what is taking place? You heard the Christ? You who are the deliverer, you who are the one that is going to bring judgment, do you even know who struck you? They're ridiculing, mocking Jesus. Of course he knows. Of course he knows. He knows all things. It's in the context of Jesus' mockery over his prophetic 
abilities that we have the account of Peter's denials. Now, I think this is extremely important. In our text, the events that take place in Peter's denials are associated with Jesus being mocked as a prophet. Look at verse 69. Now, whatever translation you have this morning, whether it be ES, the the NAS, the NIV, or the King James, they all start with this word now. Now. It is directly related to what precedes. That is, the mocking of Jesus. Tell us who did this. Questioning his ability to prophesy. Now. In all four Gospels, there are different elements to the accounts of Peter's denial. Peter's denial is recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Each of them have similarities. Each of them have unique qualities. Even as I already mentioned, that Luke mentions Jesus looking at Peter where the other three do not. In each of the Gospels, the narratives serve a different purpose. In each of the Gospels, they are emphasizing something different about what's taking place during Peter's denials. So each one is valuable. Each one is beneficial. Each one teaches us important things. In our text, the the denials function in keeping with Jesus' prophesying. In actuality, the denials take place over an extended period of time during this trial. I'll point that out later to you, but just for now, take my word for that. These Denials don't happen back to back, back, okay? They don't all come right at the end. But they take place throughout a long trial, throughout many events. But as they're recorded in Matthew, they are recorded in rapid order with the emphasis being that God had said that Peter was going, excuse me, Jesus had said that Peter was going to deny him three times Peter denied him three times. And it's recounting that to emphasize that truth. Let's look at the denials. The first denial, verse 69. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant came up to him and said, You also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. In essence, Peter's saying, I don't know what you're talking about. What in the world do you mean? I would know this man. How would I know this man? I don't know what you're talking about. Pretty innocuous. Pretty offhand. Then we have a second denial. And now Peter grows more adamant. It's a stronger denial than the first. The first he just says, well... I don't know what you're talking about. The second denial goes farther. Notice verse 71. And he went to the entrance. Another servant girl saw him. And she said to the bystanders, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it. But this time with an oath. I do not know the man. He's more adamant. And he made an oath. 
He swore. I do not know the man. The third denial is even stronger and more adamant. Once again, Peter denies even knowing Jesus. But there's more this time. The third denial, according to our text, is a little while later. If you look at verse 73, after a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, according to the book of Luke, it's approximately an hour later, Luke twenty-two fifty-nine 59 says this, and after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted. So there's an, there's an hour that takes place between the denial number two and the denial number three. My point to you is that Peter had time to think about those first two denials. Peter had an hour at least to think about what he had done. It's hard to tell how much time was between the first and the second denial. But there was some time in there too. So already he's denied the Lord twice. And it seems to be impervious to him. He does not yet remember that Jesus said that he would deny him three times. It doesn't even seem to phase him that he had done this. But you know, it's amazing how we can be blinded to our own sinfulness. He did not come to his senses. He didn't come to himself and say, you know, if I can't uh, stand the heat, I ought to get out of the kitchen. If, if, I, if I can't resist this temptation, I ought to get out of here. I already, resisted, I, already, I already denied him twice. Maybe I should leave, but he did not. Rather than be convicted by his first two denials, his sinful heart became even harder. Peter is on a downward slope. Peter starts off by just saying, oh, you know, what are you talking about? Uh, you don't know what you're talking about. He moves from that to now saying, I don't know the man, and he swears that he doesn't. But now we're shocked, or at least I think we ought to be shocked, by what happens in the third denial. Verse 73. After a little while, the bystanders come up and said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Sounded like a Galilean. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. The ESV's translation of this is extremely helpful, for it is extremely accurate. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself. Peter is saying, in essence, may God judge me if I'm lying. May God hold me accountable. I tell you by God that I don't know this man. And by the verb tense, he did it more than once. 
He repeatedly was calling down God's judgment upon himself. That God would hold him accountable if he was lying about not knowing Jesus. Now think about that. May God hold me accountable if I'm lying to you. I don't know Jesus. Such words would be recognized by everyone there that no disciple would ever say that. No true follower of Jesus would call God's judgment down upon him and say that he doesn't even know this man. It satisfies them. They become convinced. Even though they have all these doubts, even though they have all this uncertainty, even though they say, you know, you even sound like one of them. When they hear what comes out of Peter's mouth, they say, he can't be a follower of Christ. We've got to be wrong. No follower of Christ would talk like that. That's the story. Imagine. Imagine. Of so disassociating yourself from Jesus that you move from saying, I don't know what you're talking about, to finally saying, may God hold me accountable if I'm lying. So what are the lessons? First, Peter's denial of Jesus should be severe warning to each of us as followers of Jesus to recognize our own weakness. As I said, Peter's denial is recorded in all four Gospels. Why would one of the most preeminent of the disciples be exposed in such a manner? You know, the Bible doesn't hide the foibles, the sins of the patriarchs, of the leaders, of the heroes of the faith. Here is Peter at his lowest point, and every single gospel records it. Why? Because it's so important to understand. It's so important to realize in the life of Peter of who Peter is. To understand Peter's weakness. Jesus had said to him, Peter, the spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. Peter, inwardly, you want to follow me, but you don't have the strength. You don't have the wherewithal. You don't have the power in you to follow me. Peter rejects that. And he says, though everyone else will desert you, I will never desert you. It's a warning that left to ourselves. We are weak and frail people. Peter had not taken the warning and did not pray in the garden when Jesus had told him that he needs to watch and pray lest he enter into temptation. The first lesson is for us to realize how weak we are. 
David is a man after God's own heart, the word of God tells us, and he committed adultery and murder. Do you realize that we are not above committing any sin? Do you realize that we could succumb to a host of different kinds of temptations? We ought to be fearful of ourselves. We ought to recognize our own weaknesses and realize that left to our own, we can fail miserably. A warning to you and me. A time of examination. And before we're too hard on Peter, we need to ask ourselves, how often do we fail to identify with Jesus? How often is Jesus ill-spoken of and we stand quietly by? How often does the opportunity arise for us to identify with Jesus and the gospel truth And we want to go unobserved. But what we're to focus on this morning, I believe, is not Peter's failure. But rather, I want to focus on the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter's denial might come as a shock to us, but it came to no shock to Jesus. Jesus knew exactly what Peter would do. Jesus had warned Peter that before the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times. Peter was open. Peter was an open book to Jesus. He knew it all. The soldiers mocked Jesus and said, do you know who struck you? Peter, in his own way, is mocking Jesus in the sense that does he think he can get away with calling down God's judgment upon himself? That Jesus isn't going to know that? That Jesus isn't going to be aware of that? But Jesus does know. Jesus knows it before Peter says it. Jesus knows that Peter is going to take God's name in vain and ask God to punish him, destroy him, if when he denies Jesus, he's lying. Jesus, in his grace, does not condemn Peter for calling down judgment upon himself. Peter's life, physical life, would not be taken. You know, it's rather striking to me that he utters those words, and there's not a a bolt of lightning from the sky that just comes down and just smacks him to the ground. His life is not taken. More than that, 
His spiritual life is not taken. Peter is not cursed and damned forever as a result of what he said. Peter is not in hell today. Even though he asked God to judge him if he had been lying. If there was ever a person that was worthy of judgment, he was worthy of judgment. But ever if there's a person that's worthy of judgment, it's we who are worthy of judgment. Jesus forgave him. And in the grace and mercy of God, Jesus told Peter, before Peter even did it, that he'd be forgiven. For Jesus said to him, Simon, Simon, Behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he may sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, that your faith would not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Not only had he not forfeited his eternal life, he didn't even forfeit his opportunity for service. God just didn't put him on the shelf and say, you know, Peter, I can forgive you, but, you know, I can't have somebody that acts like that and be a leader of the church. I can't have somebody who denies me and then go out and preach the gospel to others. Peter is told beforehand that Jesus has prayed for him and that when he is turned again to strengthen his brothers. And then, of course, we have the account in the book of John, we're not going to go there, of Jesus meeting with uh, Peter after the resurrection and uh, charging him to feed his sheep. It's an amazing story of grace. Grace. You know, there are those that tell us that we should never say that people, you know, even after you're saved, if you commit sins, you're still forgiven. Because that's just going to give license to people to sin. This didn't give license to Peter. And the word of God is very much aware of that concern in the book of Romans. After it clearly teaches us that we are saved solely by faith, not by our works. We're we're saved solely on the meritorious work of the Lord Jesus Christ, that his his salvific work of dying on the cross for our sins and and his, his sacrifice is our salvation totally. It's not his good works and mine combined. It's his good works and that alone. I'm saved totally by grace. I'm saved by grace and I'm kept by grace. 
I'm not now preserved by the life I live. But the life I live is going to change because of the work of the Lord Jesus. But when you're in the book of Romans and it says that you are saved no matter what, then the question is asked, well, shall we continue in sin then that grace may abound? What's the answer? God forbid. No, may we never go there. That's not the right reaction. But the truth is. But the truth is. And the glorious truth is that we are saved by grace. And no matter what we have done can be forgiven. And the glory of this passage is it's not just what is done before we are saved that can be forgiven. It's what we do after we are saved and we can still be forgiven. Peter knows the Lord. Peter is walking with the Lord. Peter is committed to the Lord. Peter takes a stand for the Lord. Peter is willing to cut off a servant's ear. But Peter isn't nearly as strong as he thinks he is. And in his weakness, oh, how weak he is. And how far he goes into his sin. And yet, he is still forgiven. We have grace, grace to be saved. But not only grace to be saved, grace to live for Christ. For this story doesn't end here, and that's a wonderful, wonderful truth. The story doesn't end here. Peter is changed, is emboldened. The Holy Spirit makes Peter into an entirely different individual. And this same Peter, who denies the Lord three times, is going to die a sacrificial death as a martyr. He's going to be given opportunity to recant and denounce his faith in Christ in order to preserve his life, and he will refuse. His only request is going to be to be buried, to hang on the cross upside down because he says he's not worthy to die in the same manner as his Savior. And that request is honored. And he's hung on a cross upside down. What changes? It's the Spirit of God in Peter's life. What changes? It's the recognition of Peter's weakness. I wish I had time this morning to take you through the book of Acts. And how when they are threatened, Peter comes back and he tells them. And they pray. And the place where they are praying is shaken. And the Spirit of God empowers him. And enables him to do what he cannot do on his own. The Spirit of God achieves what Jesus Christ died on the cross to achieve. And that is the forgiveness of sins and the transformation of our lives. I submit to you that Jesus is not disgusted with Peter. 
Jesus is not angered at Peter. Jesus is not frustrated by Peter. I believe that even as Peter went out and wept bitterly, that Jesus wept as well. Not for himself, but for Peter. For he died for Peter. He died for those denials. He died so that when Peter would call down God's judgment upon himself, he wouldn't receive it. But be mercifully forgiven. I don't know what's gone on in your life. I don't know where you are. I don't know what friends or family members you may have. But there may even be a Christian that is sitting here or knows someone who thinks now they have committed the unpardonable sin. They are so disgusted with themselves. They are so torn up inside that they're saying to themselves, there's no forgiveness for me anymore. There's no restoration. And even if I'm going to heaven, there's no way I can be used of God anymore. I have forfeited every opportunity to serve and bring honor and glory to him. The story of Peter is there is forgiveness and there's restoration. We can serve and honor and glorify God, but we need the power and the work of the Spirit of God in our lives. May our sinfulness only move us to a greater longing for God's enablement to overcome that sin. May we not wallow in our transgressions. May we not just simply say, woe is me, I am undone. But may it humble us and say, yes, Lord, it's true, I am weak. I have failed you again. I need forgiveness again. I need grace again. I need empowerment again. And may we learn from our mistakes. May we learn from our sin. And before we enter into that sin, may we plead daily, Lord, today give me strength. Lord, today help me to stand for you. Help me to take those opportunities. Help me to speak. Help me to resist temptation and pour out our hearts to God to give us the strength that we don't have. To his honor and to his glory. Rejoicing in the salvation that is ours solely through the work of the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Almighty God, thank you for the forgiveness of sins. Thank you for the forgiveness of sins before we are saved and thank you for the forgiveness of sins after we're saved. Oh Lord, as saved individuals, we can do some pretty dastardly things. And certainly we have examples in the word of God of a David committed murder and adultery. There are so many examples in the word of God and unfortunately, Lord, there are examples in our own lives. Forgive us. Lord, help us to rejoice 
in the forgiveness of sins. Help us to take delight in and know that we can have a right relationship with you, that your countenance can shine upon us. That when Jesus died, he died knowingly of every sin, not only that we had committed, but would commit. That when Jesus saved us, he saved us knowing all that we had and would do. And our sins are forgiven totally on the work of the Lord Jesus. Oh Lord, may that not create apathy or indifference in us, but may it create an incredible love for Jesus. A sense of gratitude. Lord, teach us our weakness and teach us your power. May we not be satisfied with our lives as we live them now, but may we hunger and thirst after righteousness. May we long to be a changed people. May we want to bring honor and glory to you. May we want to be used of you. Oh Lord, help us to weep now so that we don't weep later. Give us of your spirit, we pray. Minister to the hearts of any here this morning who are discouraged, who are downhearted, downtrodden, who believe they are so far or distant from you. Oh God, show them of your love. Show them of your forgiveness and power and equip and enable. Use them to your glory. Bring great honor to your name. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.